Uh, we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 57. I know time is moving on, but I believe it's important to bring uh, God's Word. It should be focused and central to us, and everything is turning to God's Word in these days. Isaiah chapter 57 is just one verse uh, that we'll read together. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. And once you're there, if you would stand with me this morning, and we'll all audibly read the Word of God together. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. And once you're there, if you would stand, then we'll know we're ready uh, to read God's Word together. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. Praise the Lord. Let's all read it together. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So Lord, this morning we pray for your anointing, that you would bless your word. Lord, you bless, Lord, the hearers, and Lord, that you would be glorified. Lord, I pray for your help and for the unction. Lord, would you do a work in your body amongst us, in our lives individually and collectively, Lord, would you make your people, Lord, a living sign and a wonder. Lord, that we, Lord, would be a people that would manifest the life and the person of Jesus and that the attraction, Lord, would be Christ and Christ alone and that you would draw men by your Spirit. Lord, that you would work, Lord, in this day. Oh God, we pray that you would revive your church again. Revive your people, oh God. And glorify your name in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's take our seats together this morning. Of all the wonderful attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the characteristics that there are, that we can look at each one by one, His love and His mercy, His grace, His holiness, His justice, His faith, His hope, His kindness, His compassion, His long-suffering, His meekness, his speech, his patience, his care, the healing virtue that flowed from him, and we can just go on and on. He surely is just a wonderful Savior. There is nobody like Jesus. If you were given the choice this morning of to pick three of those wonderful attributes, there are so many, I wonder what you would pick. I wonder what you would choose if you wanted those three particular attributes or characteristics to be so evident in your life. I wonder, I don't want you to answer, but I do want you to think about it for a moment. What would you actually pick? What attributes would you say? I would really like that attribute to be so evident in my life that people would know that I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. And of course, I would say that most, if not all, would probably immediately say his love because he is, he is love, and he demonstrated his true love, agape love, and given his life for us. And maybe others would say, well, I'd like to be merciful like Jesus, because he showed me mercy, so I would like to be merciful, and, and so forth. There might be different ones that you would, that you would look at and say, I'd, I'd like to be kind like the Lord. But I would say, and it's just, I would say this, I would say that on the list, if we carried on and say we'll pick five things or pick ten things, one of the great attributes of the Lord would probably not be up in the top three, maybe not even in the top five, perhaps maybe not even in the top ten. It may not even be mentioned. And that attribute is the humility of Christ. The humility of Christ. It isn't something that is attractive in the world's eyes and it is less focused on or preached on or believed or practiced even within the church that Christ in his humility. The Bible tells us that being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and the fruit of humility is obedience. The fruit of humility is obedience. So he humbled himself, Jesus, and he became obedient unto death even the very death of the cross. You know, it is our belief, and I know it's collectively our belief, and certainly we have not seen it in our generation. I don't believe 
We have seen it in our generation. We have not seen a church revived by the power of the Holy Ghost and demonstrating the life of Jesus Christ in this land for a very long time. The answer to it all is a church on fire for Jesus Christ. The answer to it all is a church revived by the power of the Holy Ghost. There are individual needs collectively. There are so many great needs that there are in our nation. We see the absolute mess that there is in lives. It's like the devil has just had a field day running through lives and homes and families broken, young people, suicide, and the, and the list just goes on and on and on. But the answer to all of that is a church that has been touched by the revival power of Almighty God. And the answer, friends, to the world that we are in, regardless of what people think or what they say, and I know it's open game for the church today, it's open game for Christians today, but the answer to all of the tide of wickedness and the Antichrist spirit that's, that's been unleashed on our nation is that the church of Jesus Christ, touched by the power of the Holy Ghost, demonstrating to this world, this Christ, under the anointing. The reviving power of God, and the message this morning is, the reviving power of a humble spirit. The reviving power of God. The word revive is to make alive, is to restore, is to quicken, is to bring back something from the brink of death or something that is dying. Now I'm talking about this collectively, but you see, really, this goes right down into the individual. It is an individual response to God, the Holy Spirit. The Hebrew word for revive is found in the English word uh, revival just several times, but actually the Hebrew word is hundreds of times in the Old Testament. Some would say, well, we've, only, we've heard about revival, but it, the Bible doesn't talk about it much, so we don't really believe in revival. But actually the word is found hundreds of times in the Hebrew. It means to make something alive, to live, to sustain life, to live prosperously, to be quickened, to be restored to life and to health, to be brought away from something like discouragement or the point of death or sickness or disappointment, but to be touched by the reviving power of God and to be brought back into a place of life. We need the touch of God, the church of Jesus Christ. And I can only speak for here, and we're looking at the spirit of Manasseh, and we're in this context. The answer to all of this is the reviving power of Almighty God to touch not just a building, because it's not about the building, but to touch the people of God. Why? Because people are dying. I'm talking about spiritually. People are dying. People are going cold. People are fading away. People are losing their first love. People are losing their convictions, their passion that they had for Jesus. People are indifferent. There's a lukewarmness that's creeping in. There are people here this morning on the outward, you know you sense the beautiful presence of the Lord in the midst, but you know in your heart, oh God, it's so void, it's so empty, it's so dry, it's so barren, it's so dead. I'm dying and I need a touch of God. I'm at a point, I'm at a place, I'm on the brink. I need something. I can't live like this. I can't walk like this. I'm, in, I'm a Christian with a name, but I'm denying the living power of God. I need the power of the risen Christ to touch me. I'm at the point, I'm at the break point. I'm at a place in my own life where I'm walking. I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. I believe in the Lord. I know His Word. I attend church. But it's become dead. It's become barren. It's come, become dry. You're dying. You're spiritually dying. The spirit of the age, the spirit of Manasseh, the spirit of Antichrist is pressing in against the church of Jesus Christ. And we see it. And we feel it. And we sense it. And there's a pressure. There's an intensity. That's the hour that we've come to. 
And so some would sit in this meeting this morning and in the depths of your heart, you've experienced the sense of the presence of God, but what you're living in is that you're living on the mercy drops. That God's so merciful that He lets you feel something for a moment. You sense His presence, but you know that you're living and you're walking out these doors this morning and, and you're, you're looking into a week of a grind of living under the pressure and the pressing of the enemy and the void and the emptiness and the closets dry and the closets empty. And in all honesty, you're saying, I'm at the point where I'm dying. I need a touch of God. I need the reviving power of God to touch me in my heart and in my life and in my mind because I cannot go on. I will not survive what you have started in the Spirit. We cannot finish in the flesh. It's impossible, but yet it seems as though the church in the last stretch as has come round the track of history and it's on the last bend and the finishing line is before us. It seems as though when I include myself in all of this, that the church, we are going to do it on our own strength the last couple of hundred meters and we're not going to make it. The church needs the reviving power of Almighty God to bring it home to restore it, to revive it, to display in it not just the gifts, but the giver of the gifts. It is Jesus. It is Christ displayed. And the answer to this world that is around us is a church touched by the power of a living God. The consequences that we're seeing because of the spirit of Manasseh, and we've looked at it for a couple of weeks, and we've seen and paralleled it to the day that we're living in the abortion, the shedding of the innocent blood, the idolatry, the preachers of the grove, preaching another gospel, preaching a God of their own imagination. This is in the church. Witchcraft in the platforms. Witchcraft in the pews. Friends, I know it's strong language. But listen, in the midst of all of this, there has to be a cry in our hearts. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is the reality of this Christ that we long for, we believe for? A touch of God and His bride. The consequences are everywhere. It has swept the church and the church is sick. I know I get in trouble for this. I know that people disagree with me. I know that people have a problem with some of this. But friends, I can only preach what I believe the church is sick. It might have all the outward activity. It might have all the great and the grand. But it is sick. It is, it is, it is sick and it is lame. It is not as it should be. I believe that the church that was born in an upper room 2,000 years ago is the church. It has not changed. Men have changed. The, uh, theology has crept in. Intellectualism has crept in. Philosophies have crept in. Psychology has crept in. But a church and fire and filled with the power of the Holy Ghost will do the same acts of the Holy Spirit that they did in the first century. And I'm a believer, a passionate believer, that that's the only answer for the church today. Regardless of our names, our titles, our denominations, Baptist, Pentecostal, Free Presbyterian, Presbyterian Brethren, Methodist, it matters not, but a church on fire by the Holy Ghost is the only answer. But that's you and that's me. And we're dying. And some might say, well, Tim, you're preaching a message under the Old Covenant and you're in the New Covenant. Well, I want to take you right into the New Covenant. I'll take you to the, Asia, the churches of Asia Minor. And that's in the New Covenant. And that's the plea of Jesus as he comes to the churches. It was for a particular church, but it was for the church of this age. He comes to the church, for example, at Sardis. And he says, this is Jesus speaking. This is in the New Covenant. I know it's not preached, but... It's the truth. It's Christ. It's His Word. And He says, I know your works. I know that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. That's what Jesus said. I don't know how many of the grace preachers would let Jesus preach in their churches. I know you've got a name that you're alive, but I know the reality. You're dead. That's what Jesus said. 
He says, be watchful, strengthen the things that remain, that are ready to die. There's things that are ready to die. There's people here this morning, you're ready to die. I'm talking about a spiritual death. I'm talking about that the fire that was once burning is now, it's now just a flick, a flicker. And he hasn't come to put the fire out. He's come to fan the flames, set you ablaze again. He hasn't finished with you. But he sees all things, doesn't he? He sees our hearts. He sees our motive. He sees our agenda. He sees everything about us. I know thy works. I know you have a, a name. Oh boy, see Tim McElroy. He's really on fire for God. But I know God knows your heart. God knows my heart. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead or you're dying. Strengthen the things that remain. You see, the Bible tells us that there'll come a day where there'll be a form of godliness, but we will deny the power thereof. That's the day we're living in. There's a form. There's a form of religion. I can say this because I'm from here, but I believe this is probably one of the most dead religious churches collectively in all of the world. We have all the things and all the titles and all the apparatus and I know I'll be in trouble for this, but friends, it's dead. There's a call that comes from the Lord to these churches, five out of the seven, and it was a call to repentance. I know repentance has become a dirty word, a rejected word in the modern church. But Jesus comes to plea, come, Repent, turn to me. We know the, 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 the story, we know the account of the church of the Laodicean. That is two Greek words. Do you know what it means? The two Greek words are simply this, people's rights. That's what the Laodicean, that is what the church has become. It's the people's rights. It's my way. That's where it's at today, friends. That's the church of the Laodicean. It's the people's church. It's about us. It's about what we want. It's about our comforts. It's about our rights. Jesus begins to point out the reality of where they are. And then he says, listen, friends, this is reality. He stands at the door and he knocks. I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man would hear my voice and open the door, I want to show you revival. He says, I will come into him. He will sup with me and he with me. That's revival. That's what revival is. When the church humbles itself and opens the door and says, Jesus, forgive us. We've been doing our own thing. We've been living our own lives. We've been in all the materialism. We're neither hot nor cold. Yes, we go to church three times a week. Yes, we've got our Bible under our arm. Yes, we're looking all the part. But oh God, we're so far from you. We're neither hot nor cold. Oh God, forgive us for our lukewarmness. Pull the door open of your heart. And say, Jesus, come in. And he says, I'll come in my reviving power. Is there someone, he says, that will hear my voice in the midst of many voices in the midst of many opinions in the, in the midst of all the confusion in the midst of it all is there someone he just says someone you don't have to get a group together he just says is there someone here that will hear his voice and they'll open the door and say, Jesus, come in. Do you know what he'll do? He'll come right in. And he comes in in his reviving power because the Bible tells us in him was life. And that life was the light of man. He is the life. And he's the life giver. We find revival. I've heard people say, I don't really say much anymore because I don't. <laughs> I've heard people say there is no revival. I've heard people say there's no end time revival. I've heard people say they don't believe in revival. But you'll find revival the whole way through this book. Because he's the God 
that revives. He brings a prophet, you know the story. He brings the prophet right into the midst of a valley that's full of very dry bones. And he simply asks him the question, can, can these bones live? God asks a man in the valley of very dry bones, can the bones live? I believe God is actually probing the church of Jesus Christ. Do we actually believe him anymore? Do we actually believe him anymore? Do we actually have a faith in God that actually believes these bones can live? And he asked the question, can these bones live? Can they live? Very dry bones, but can they live? The prophet says, I answered, O oh Lord, thou knowest. Is that our response this morning? I mean, is that the, the response from our heart? I'm not talking about the amen from our lips, but in our heart this morning. Is that the response that we're given to the Lord? Oh Lord, thou knowest, these bones can live. You can do something in the valley of very dry bones. You can do something in the midst of the most desperate, horrible, wicked hour in which we live. Lord, you can do something, something wonderful. We believe it. The Bible tells us that the wind began to blow. That's revival. That's revival. How we need the wind to blow. The prophet, again in Ezekiel 47, talks about a river that he's showing and he measures out that river. And the Bible tells us that everywhere that that river goes, that's the river that we have sung about this morning. That's the river of life that comes out of us. That's the river that Jesus spoke on in John 7, 37, out of your innermost being. That's the river Brent prayed about this morning. Out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This is the river Ezekiel seen. The Bible says that everything shall live wherever the river goes. And may the river, may we be those vessels where the river comes out of us. That's the answer to the world we're living in. It's the river flowing. It's the river on the streets of Balnehenge and, and Belfast and Kilkeela, wherever you're from. It's the river in your workplace. We need the river to flow. Because we're dying. It shows us there's waters to swim in. Know what that is? That is the inexhaustible eternal resources that are in Christ. Hosea 6 says in verse 1, Come, let, let's return to the Lord. Let's, let's go back to Jesus. Let's get back to what it's really all about. Let's get back to Him and Him alone. Let's return to the Lord, for He is torn, but He'll heal us. He is smitten, but he's, he's going to bind us up. After two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we're going to live in his sight. Then shall we know, and we will follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us like the rain, the rain, the latter, and the former rain on the earth. Oh, how we need the latter rain, the former and the latter rain. Revival is like showers coming down. We haven't, we've had mercy drops. We have had mercy drops. We have experienced times where we've, we've known the mercy drops of God fall upon us. We've seen it. We hear about it. There's mercy drops here. That's the mercy of God. But I'm talking about when there's the showers that he comes in waves and showers and the presence of God rolls over his people and we're caught up into a place with him where we're nearly afraid to breathe because his presence is so intense. It's so mighty. We want to get everything right. We want to get our hearts right. We want to repent of anything that would offend him, not in a judgmental or a legalist way because his presence is so precious. It's so real. He's the attraction. 
He is everything. And the rain comes down and the Holy Ghost moves. And there's no resistance. Our hearts melt in the presence of the Lord. Mountains melt at His presence. So our sins and our strongholds and our unforgiveness, they all melt in the presence of the Lord. How we need the reviving power of Almighty God. How we need the rain to come down. If the rain doesn't come, friends, listen, we had a prayer request for rain. Did not God answer our prayer? And I said to Brother Adrian, I said, well, what's the consequences with no rain? Devastation. The harvest is lost. Farmers know that they need the rain. The farmers know that they need the rain because there's a harvest, but if there's no rain, this is in the natural, then the harvest is lost. Without rain, friends, there's a harvest. And that harvest is lost without the power of the Holy Ghost. And the church can go on and carry on with its outward, but there's a world that needs needs saved. But it can only be saved when the church is touched by the reviving power, there's a harvest. We don't want to lose the harvest. Friends, we don't want to lose the harvest. How about the, the church is so possessed with who's right and who's wrong. It's so caught up in itself. It's so bowed over like the woman went into the temple that can't see anything else but itself. It's self-preservation. That's the opposite. Jesus came to serve. The harvest will be lost without the rain. But friends, we can't lose this harvest. We need the reviving power of God to touch His people again. Can I tell you, friend, this morning, if you could, just, just if you can't do this, but just draw a circle around yourself, stand in that circle, and say, God, revive me. Don't be thinking, please don't think of anybody else. Please don't think of any, regardless of your conversations you may have had with someone, but can you draw a circle around yourself and can you say, Lord, I need revival? Does anyone need revival? If you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 33, 2 Chronicles chapter 33 and verse 9, we're going to look at Manasseh. He is as I've already said, probably the most wicked king that was in Judah. The sins that he brought in were worse than anyone that has brought in before. I believe that's what we're witnessing in our nation, what we're seeing, what has happened. In our generation, we've seen a manifestation of laws that have been brought in as, as I mean, I just don't want to go through it all again, but we, we are seeing this. But well, we see something wonderful. It just shows us how amazing God is. In 2 Chronicles 33 and verse 9, it says these words, So Manasseh made Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to err, to do worse than the heathen, whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people. Verse 10 is an important verse. The Lord spake to Manasseh, to his people, but they, what does it say? They wouldn't hearken. He sent them prophets. Prophets that are named, but other prophets that aren't named. God would send people to him to speak to them. God's so merciful. God, God is full of mercy. How is the mercy shown? He would send them a prophet. That's the mercy of God. Oh, you're one of those doomsday prophets. no. The mercy of God, that God would send a messenger. He would send a preacher. I know we want 
in the modern church to remove preaching. But I tell you, it's through the foolishness of preaching. We want to take away the Word of God from the centrality, but it's through the preaching of the Gospel. God has chosen that. And God in His mercy sent prophets. He sent preachers, that's what they were, to preach, to call men and women to repentance. But the Bible says that they would not, they would not listen. They wouldn't hearken to the Word of God. They wouldn't hearken to the messenger. That has consequences. I want you to hear me this morning, people in this room. That has consequences. You're hearing, but you're not hearkening. You're hearing, but you won't hearken. You won't give yourself to the Word. You know better. You don't have to. I'll do what I want. It's not for me. Who cares anyway? God cares. We care. But they would not hearken. How many times has He sent you a messenger? How many times has He spoke to you? How many times through someone, through a work colleague, out in the street, through a message, somehow, some way, God is bringing His Word into your heart, but you wouldn't hearken. You wouldn't listen. You, you're going to do it your way. You harden your... Is it not like so many of us? If we're really honest, we're going to do it our way. But yet in His mercy, there's another one. There's another messenger. There's another Christian. There's another preacher. There's someone I've just started work. You're not saved. And the next minute, there's a Christian beside you. Do you know what that is? That's mercy. That's God. That's God answering prayer. That just doesn't happen. That's the mercy of God. When we start to go down our own road and do our own thing and think that nobody knows about it, do you know what you find down that road? The whole way down it is signposts. That's people. That's men. That's women. That's young people that are saying, you're going the wrong way. Their lives are a testimony to you to tell you you're going the wrong way. And many of us just went on past the signposts. And yet God in His mercy pursues us and His love through the prayers of God's people. The hound of heaven, the Holy Ghost, comes and brings conviction and won't let us go. Oh, love, that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in Thee. I give thee back the life I owe. Oh God, this morning is God searching someone? Searching a heart? Is this a message again that you've heard before but you didn't hearken? But pray to God this morning, you'll hearken, you'll heed, you'll respond. The Lord speak to Manasseh. He's the most wicked king. I think those few words are profound. The Lord speak to Manasseh. He was the most wicked king in Judah. But yet the Lord spoke to him. That gives me hope. Paul, the chief of sinners, was saved by the grace of God. That means the worst man and the worst woman in the depths of the worst sin. God speaks. That's the mercy of God. And such were some of you. But they would not hearken. Verse 11. Now I want you to see this. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the hosts of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns, bound him with fetters, and carried him to Babylon. Now I, want you to, I want you to hear something this morning. I really want you to hear this. There's consequences. There's consequences for not hearkening to the voice. Are, are you hearing me this morning? There's consequences for continually rejecting the probings and the dealings and the mercy of God. There's consequences. I know this in my life, and you know it, believer, too. There are consequences. Look at the consequences. Manasseh was among what? The thorns with fetters, and he was carried to Babylon. I want to break this down for a couple of moments. Thorns and thistles are as a result of the curse, the fall of man. Thorns, Genesis 3, 18, you'll see it there. When God gave directions to the people of Israel when they were going in to take the land, 
He spoke to Joshua. Joshua spoke to the people. And he says, look, if you make any compromises, if you start to align yourself with the things of the world, I want to show you what's happened in our nation, but particularly to the people of God. If you will align yourself with the gods of this world and the things of this world, if you take on things that you shouldn't take on, he said in Joshua 23 and 13, he says, I will no more drive out any of these nations before you. You're going to lose your effectiveness, your overcoming life, the power to pull down strongholds, to defeat the enemies of God. You'll not be effective anymore. Why? Because I'm not going to do it for you because he's the one that does it. And they will be snares and traps to you. And there'll be scourges in your sides. And there'll be thorns in your eyes. You'll not be able to see thorns. The church will lose its vision. Will lose its ability to see. And, and the enemies of the, of the cross will become, will become like thorns and snares to the church. And will have no effect against them. It used to be when I was small that the church was effective in Ulster. Regardless of the denomination, it was effective, it was potent, it had a presence, it had a power, it had an authority. Today we're the laughing stock with the masses in the pulpits and in the congregations and the fights and the wars and the divisions. That's the Christians. This town knows it too well. I don't point the finger at anyone. I just say, my God, have mercy on us because there's a harvest that's being lost. You might win the argument. But we've lost the purpose of God. And so there's thorns. Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. Listen, thorns come because of the froward. That simply means that, that pride that enters into a heart. Thorns and snares are in the way. It's because of pride. And listen to me, friends, and I believe in this. I believe in the casting out of devils and the rebuking of the kingdom of darkness and we can rebuke them in the name of Jesus. But sometimes in our lives, it's not rebuking the devil. The trouble comes because our hearts, we have turned from God and snares and troubles and thorns come and we can rebuke the devil all day. But friends, it's repentance what's needed to the church. You can take authority over the devil as much as you want, but in your heart, if you're rebelling against God and you're doing your own thing and you're committing sin that nobody knows about and you're doing your way, then snares and thorns come. Oh, pray for me because the devil's really happening. It's not the devil. It's your sin. And thorns come. We know in Matthew 13... Jesus says, and I believe this is the, one of the great, one of the saddest revelations of what we are living in today. Matthew 13 and 7, the word of God, when it falls among the thorns, the thorns choke the word. The word has no effect. The word has no effect. We have preachers all across this land, men of God, preach the gospel, preach the truth, stand in the word. I know there's still a remnant of God. We're not the only ones. God, forgive us if we ever think that there are a band of men and women that are standing for truth and believe the Lord. But you know what we're seeing? The, the word of God is being choked by the thorns. Thorns have come up because of the spirit of Manasseh. And now when the word, there's no fault in the word. But when the word is preached, it's choked. It's choked. There's the word of God that goes forth from here and it's choked because of the thorns. Thorns. I'm so thankful this morning that those Roman soldiers had no idea what they're doing when they took a crown of thorns and crushed it into the brow of Jesus. He took the curse for us all. And fetters, chains, the purpose to, in, 
to resist one's ability to enter into the liberty and the freedom that God has for us. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is a kingdom of peace and righteousness and joy. Moving in the spirit and in the liberty that God has set us free. Praise the Lord, there's an overcome life and there's victory. But then when the spirit of Manasseh begins to take hold and we begin to go into the things of the world and we begin to compromise in our lives, you know what happens? Thorns come and then fetters come. And you see people that were starting out on fire for God and set and sold out for Jesus. They're going all the way. And then the thorns come. They don't see the same way. They let sin in that they wouldn't let in before. And then the fetters come. And then they're coming into church and the ball and chain and all the weights of the world because they're not free in Jesus. And He's come to set us free. But we've turned. We've turned. We started out right, but now we take on a chain. Well, I don't want to go too fanatic. I don't want to go all the way with Jesus. There's no other way but all the way. I'll just give him 90%. No one else will know about the 10%. Really? I'm going to tell your friend. I'm going to give you a wee word of advice. Take it from someone who knows. It's never going to work. We'll look at it tonight. No man can serve two masters. Impossible. But yet we try. Don't we? Am I the only one that's ever tried it? Fetters. It reminds us of the great champion Samson when he compromised his life. But you know, when you see it, it says he awoke out of his sleep. He awoke. I'm going to get up. I'm going to serve God. But nobody didn't know. That was his own pride. He was going to do it. He awoke like this the all other times. I'll just get up and do it here. I'll trust in my talent. I'll trust in my gift. I can do it in my own strength. We need the anointing. The anointing comes by prayer. The anointing comes by waiting in the presence of the Lord. You can't microwave this, folks. But he awoke out of his sleep. Do you know what he says? I'm going to do it just like other times. You know what the church are saying today, including us? I'm putting myself in it. Maybe not you, but I'll put me in it. We're going to do it just like other times. We can do this, Lord. And it tells us he just give himself a bit of a shake. You know how we send that we say, give yourself a shake? I'll give yourself a shake. Just get up there and get on with it. No, 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 no. It takes the time to wait. In the presence of the Lord for the anointing to come upon his people. Where do we find him? We find him with his eyes out and he's bound with fetters. Fetters. Here's the champion. Here's the great man of God. And he was. But he's compromised. And now the enemy has him and he's a laughing stock. Can I tell you, friends, I say this, but I don't say it with any sense, but just pain and brokenness. We've become a laughing stock to the world. The last king of the southern kingdom was a man called Zedekiah, about five kings after Manasseh. It says of him, Zedekiah, before they slew Zedekiah, they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He lost that generation of young people. They put out his eyes and they bound him with fetters of brass and they carried him away to Babylon. I thank God that the next king that came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey has come to break every fetter. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Can I tell you, friends, he still breaks the fetters. But they're carried away. This is the manifestation. I'm going to be a few more minutes, but I do know I have to preach this this morning. He was carried away, carried away. 
You see, in the last days, there's going to be many that are carried away. Babylon, we'll look at it a little bit tonight, but Babylon is the spirit of Antichrist that's right before us. It's already risen. It's already before us. The root word, of course, is Babel. That comes from Torah Babel. That's confusion. Is there ever more a day that we're living in where it's confusion? Everyone's confused. Even the church is confused. We're confused. There's confusion everywhere. And then we start to chase after things, this, that, and the other. Could I tell you something, friend? It is Christ and Christ alone. Confusion comes. I have never seen a time when people are so confused. And if you actually give yourself and listen to it too much, you'll end up confused yourself. And can I tell you, it doesn't take much to confuse me. But there's so much going on that people are confused. What do you think of that? I just don't know anymore what I think of that. And what do you think of this? I don't know. And what do you think of her? I don't know. And what do you think? Friends, I want to tell you what I think. I think that this is the only answer. If we stick with the absolutes, we'll look at it a wee bit. Do you know there's absolutes in the world? Isn't that a breath of fresh air? I just go, see when you hear it all, you sense it all, you watch it all, and then you go, thank God for the word because it's black and white. It's truth. There's no lies. There's no gray areas. There's no contradictions. I heard, what the does the Bible not have any? I heard the Bible has contradictions. You're confused. That's the spirit of the Antichrist that's already in your mind. But is there not contradictions? I met somebody in the street and says, there is no contradictions. It's absolute. And they hate people that believe that this is the infallible living word of God. And it is. Oh, are you one of them? Yes. Praise the Lord, I'm one of them. And I'm not confused then when I just turn to this. This is going to take me home. It's going to lead me to glory. This is the truth that makes me free. This is Jesus, the living Word of God. But many will be carried away. That's not my opinion. That's what we're told. Hebrews 13 and 9 says, Be not carried about with diverse strange doctrines. For it is good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have no profit in them, or be occupied therein. There is a warning not to be carried away. I just want to say this because it's important to say. You know, the YouTube thing is an amazing thing. You can get anything you want. I think I'm going to start believing that. And see if you put that in the YouTube, you're going to find another nut that believes that you do. You can actually get anything. If you believe it, I'm going to believe that. Put it in the YouTube. I know you'll find someone on the other side of the world going, I believe what you believe. That's true, it's on YouTube. The only truth that there is is God's Word. I'm not saying there's no truth in what's preached on YouTube. And there's great preachers and there's great things that you can yield from and hear from and information you can gather. But I want to tell you something, friends. People are going to be carried away. With strange doctrines. They've already come. Paul writes to the Ephesians and says that we should henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Carried around with all the winds of doctrine. Friends, what a day. Carried away. But where was he carried to? He was carried away to Babylon. Now, this is serious. Babylon is confusion. Babylon is the spirit of Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist is manifested, and I don't want the, this to sound hyper, but it is manifested everywhere you go. It has infiltrated every avenue of our society. Every single avenue. The spirit of Antichrist. And people are being carried into that. Even the church, sadly, are being carried away. If we believe, and praise God we do, in the reviving, energizing, 
life-giving power of Almighty God, then what's our response? Because we know we need the touch of God. We see the manifestation of the sin of Manasseh and the spirit of Manasseh today. When our reading this morning, it says, For thus saith the high and the lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and the holy place. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We see that there's a condition that the high and lofty one responds to. It's the word humility. It's the act of humility. But it's not just the look of humility. It's the spirit of humility. The fruit of that, of course, is submission to the will of God. If you claim to be humble, which is a lot of people do, I'm so humble and I'm proud of it, as they say. You'll never meet a normal humble person than me. You cross them, you're going to find out. <laughs> see humility is not a look it's not what way you look we're, we're fixated on how we look I look a certain way then to think I'm humble friends we need to get away from this you know one of the most humble looking people that I've ever met was a wee monk Away at the top of a mountain in Bhutan, he had his own temple. There was only one seat in it, and he sat with a wee orange towel around him every day from five in the morning to five at night, worshipping a false god. And he was humble. He looked humble, but there was nothing humble about him because he's a rejecter of Jesus Christ. His heart is desperately wicked and filled with pride. Oh, but he looks so humble. And wouldn't a little temple on the top of a mountain with one seat, wouldn't that suit you? It might make you, it might be easier to be humble there. But God's done a wonderful thing. He's brought us all together. And then our humility then is tested, isn't it? Isn't it? Or do you just prefer the wee temple up in Bhutan? Sounds good, doesn't it? We think humility is just how you look, but it's not. We also think humility is what you do. Now, I'm not saying there's not the manifestation of humility in actions, but Stephen sent me that we clipped the other day, that old priest standing there, well, it was Buckley, wasn't it? And there he's standing there, and he's trying to tell us what the gospel is. Well, you need to visit the poor, and you'd feed, and that's all right. Jesus said that you're supposed to. But I want to tell you something, friend. A man's heart is filled with pride. He's a rejecter of Jesus Christ and the deity of Christ. Or maybe you might say, but sure, tell me, you see, but look at Mother Teresa. Didn't she do some wonderful things? And she did. That's humility. That's not humility. See, I were deceived on what humility is. The Bible says that the high and lofty one whose name is holy, he's with them, what does he say, of a humble what? A humble spirit. It's actually a condition of the heart. That's what humility is. It's a heart that says, not my will, Lord, but thine be done. That's the master we're following. I'm always slightly concerned that, that there's a lot of people go about today and say, you just need to be humble. Brent, you need to be humble. Well, I'm sure Brent knows that. And if Brent said to me, Tim, you need to be humble. I think I know that too. And if I said that to Stephen, Stephen, you need to be humble. I think Stephen would know that as well. But it's not more than our words. Is it not more than our advice? 
Is it not more than just the things that we say? Surely it's a condition that's in the spirit of a man when God begins to break us and we don't like being broken. I want to tell you something. I want the Lord to break us. Really, humility is a brokenness before the Lord. And I want to ask you a question. Two questions, really. When's the last time you've seen genuine brokenness in the church of Jesus Christ? regardless of the denomination. I mean, not created of man, but just a genuine, oh God, we need the Lord. When's the last time you were broken? When's the last time you were broken? I mean, really broken. When's the last time you got down on your knees and said, my God, Lord, I need you. When is the last time you've got on your face? Not, you know, I'm just asking the question because I believe in this. And you got yourself so low in your spirit before the Lord. Not in a, oh, beat me up, Lord, I won't crush. But in a sense that, God, we're in so much need of you. Lord, my life, everything around me, it's so broken. It's so hurting. I don't know where to turn. I'm trying to fix it. I can't fix it. I'm dying. My communion's dry. My walk is dry. I'm filled with the natural. I'm in the carnality of it all. I have all the opinions of the, of the day. I can put everybody right, but in my heart is a void. There's an emptiness. Lord, I need you to come. I need revived. When is the last time you've seen brokenness? I know it's outside of the box of what we now know church to be, what we have created church to be. But we come back to the word of God. When is the last time we've seen this genuine humility? Not in a look. Not just by the acts that we do, but in the condition of our hearts. And friends, there is actually nothing like it. There is nothing like it when God comes, when he finds a broken life and a broken belief. He found two, two people and Trish and Steve and others that were part... And he came to a time when we were so broken before the Lord as believers and we were crying out, God have mercy. And God had mercy. But the reviving power of his presence, there is nothing like it. Did you know how it came? Richard, it came when we were broken. It came when we lay it all down. It came when we stopped. It came when we recognized that in ourselves that in our own abilities, in our own strength, in our own everything, and all of our gifts and all of our talents. Thank God for them, but we need the anointing. And there has to be a brokenness again in the church of Jesus Christ where we, where we cry out to God, that God, He creates a, the Spirit within us to be broken, broken, broken. Why? Because it's so firm. We're tough. Ulster men are tough cookies. We don't give in. We have bred in our DNA no surrender. That's in us as people. But we need the surrender. It comes when there's a cry through it all that begins to say, God, would you have mercy? God, I need you. God, I repent of these things. God, Deal with me in your mercy. Chastise me because you love me. I'm your son. It's a sign of sonship when he chastises us. It's not a sign that he's mad at us. It's a sign that you're a son that he's beginning to deal with your heart. Why have you not given that up? Why have you not repented of that? Why are you still hanging on to the things of the world? Why is there things in your life that you're still allowing in your life that offend me? But you're trying to do it your way. I want you to surrender. And he chastises us. And thorns come and fetters come. And then we're carried in the way of the cold place. But yet in his mercy he pursues. 
You see, here's why it's important. Psalmist says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continue to be in my mouth. My soul shall make the boast in the Lord. You know what it says? The humble shall hear. I've spoke to you. I've sent messages to you, but you won't listen. Why? I want to tell you why it is. I tell you why it is because I tell you why it is, friend. And we have been there. I've been there. It's because of the pride in our hearts. We will not buy. No, we won't buy. But you see, when that brokenness comes, do you know what happens? You hear. And there's no voice like Jesus' voice. The humble hear. Psalm 69 and 32 says that the humble see. The one thing of these last days, friends, hearing and seeing spiritually. Our eyes are dim. Our hearing is almost gone. The church can't hear his voice. And we can't see the way. Why? What is the real root cause of that? Do you know what the root cause of it? We can talk about it. No, what about this, that, and the other? It's pride. It's just pride. It's just rotten, filthy pride. It says in verse 12, closing in two minutes, that when Manasseh was in affliction, this is remarkable. It actually totally amazes me. It amazes me not about Manasseh. It amazes me about God. He's so amazing. When he was in affliction, that word distress, trouble, bitterness of soul. Do you know what he did? At the depths of all of that, fetters, thorns, carried away to Babylon. When he was in the depths of all of that, you know, we sang it this morning, he saw me plunged in deep distress. It says he besought the Lord his God, and this is what he did, and humbled himself, you know what it says? Greatly. He just didn't humble himself. It says he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. You know what God did? You think God left him there, the high lofty one? He flew to his relief. There was the evidence of repentance. He took away the strange gods, the idol out of the house of the Lord. All those things he repaired the altar of God. The fruit of repentance. Oh, I'm going to get right with God. There has to be the evidence of getting right with God. The putting things right that are wrong. God the Holy Spirit shows you that. Friends, in these final moments, the Bible says, the Bible says, and it never has been altered, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. I'll go with my mates. I'll do my thing. I'll do it my way. I'm going to tell you something, friends. It's going to end in disaster. Though the Lord be high, yet he has respect to the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But know this, church. Though I walk, the psalmist said, in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Whatever we are going to go through, stay humble in spirit. Because when we go through the trouble and through the valleys and through the trials and through everything that's going to happen, there's a revival power that sustains us. Wilt thou not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in thee. The reviving power of a humble spirit. Lord, create in us a humility, a biblical humility that cries out for you to come and touch your people once again. We need God. We need God.
the reviving power of a humble spirit. Next week, it's the recovering power because we're going to recover. Father, this morning we just pray, Lord, for the real deep sense of your presence to continue on working in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we just simply ask that you not leave us as we are, but Lord, would you do a work in all of us? Would you touch your church? Would you revive us again? Lord, would you speak, give us ears to hear, eyes that can see, hearts that are open and tender. Lord, we need you so much in this day. And we do pray for your church across this land. Lord, we pray, God, would you do such a work? Would you bring it together? Lord, it's, a, it's like that valley of very dry bones. But Lord, thou knowest, Lord, these bones can live. Lord, may we see this revival in our generation. Lord, help us each one to get into a place with you, Lord. A sweet communion of contrition and humility. But Lord, where we experience the reviving power of God among us. Oh God, this morning, Lord, if there's one in this room. Lord, that's at the brink. That's dying. Oh, Father, I pray this morning, Lord, you draw that heart back to yourself. Lord, that you would break in, that you would renew, that you would refresh, that you would revive. Lord, would you do a work in that heart today, oh God. Lord, help us, each one. Touch us, Lord, with your reviving power. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to do it in our own strength, our own power, our own talent, our own gift. Oh God, we thank you. Those gifts are without repentance, but Lord, we need your anointing. Lord, help us to wait. May your anointing be upon us. Touch your people, Lord. If there's one in here this morning doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, you're speaking to them, Lord. Lord, I just pray you don't stop those ears that are deafened. Lord, that your voice would be clearly heard and give them grace to repent. Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together this morning.